Hey, Rob. What book did we read? Well, uh, Boom! Right Gods into it. By yeah, right, right, right. We just we read America Gods, and now we're going to talk about it. But like, I'm not sure if the initial format of this podcast is going to be the same this week. How so? Because I don't know where from where we do, I don't know where we actually started. I won't know until I edit it. Oh yeah, I agree. There was that time when Stephen said, "All right, let's go." That was a pretty good start too. I th- <laughs> it might be. Um. So what did you want to bullshit about first? Why? Why is it me that wants to bullshit? I just feel like (laughs) Stephen. What do you want to bullshit about? Um, I got a new job. That's cool, dude. Nice. Yeah. Congrats. Thanks. What? what, Tell us the parts of it that you would like to share. Um. Basically, (laughs) um, it's it's a pretty small company, and I'm being brought on as kind of like a junior project manager because i know fuck all about project management (laughs) okay um don't tell them that and they probably will never know yeah it was it was a small enough company that like when i interviewed for the position it was like i wasn't only trying to convince them that they should hire me but also that they should hire anybody for that position Mm, yeah (laughs) I like it when you go into an interview and you can tell in the interview that they're trying to convince you to take whatever offer is coming rather than to figure out if they actually want you. <laughs> I mean, I... I mean, that's a good interview. I lowballed it on purpose because I knew that they were going to have to like train me for three months. Yeah. And um, they knew exactly how much I didn't know, which is a lot. Um, so I'm only making like 6k more than I was before, but you know, five, an extra like $500 a month isn't anything to sneeze at. Yeah, exactly. Does anyone actually sneeze at things they don't like? Um, I do all the time. If I, if I could sneeze on (laughs) command, I would use it exclusively for that. (laughs) Okay, wait. (sighs) You just have to like always have some type of inner nose tickling device with you. You know what always makes me sneeze? Um, Yanking at a nose hair. Just find one of those and pull it out and you're going to sneeze. Because you know you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, I'm not supposed to use the Q-tip, and yet I have a whole box next to my desk <laughs> for exclusively inner ear canal purposes. The The theory with the pulling a nose hair, go, though, goes that you may cause an infection, and infections in your like no like like lining of your nose are more likely to cause like meningitis and things like that than other just like sinus infections, etc. You sound really whiny right now. <laughs> Aaron, I'm not whining about it. I'm just letting you know what the uh, prevailing <laughs> theories am, are. Am I am I making this up or did you get meningitis once? I did. I did. Uh, what but was it was that? not. It, what? When was that? Uh, I think I was like 16. Oh, okay. I like, oh, I thought you were older than that. Weren't we in college? No, no, no. no you actually, I think we were in chemistry together, right? Because that one girl got mono and you got meningitis and everyone was like, this is the doomed chemistry class. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, oh, we no, were... my meninges. Yeah. <laughs> we were in chemistry together uh, at the time. So, yeah, I guess, I, what was that? Was that sophomore year? That had to have been sophomore year. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm... 
because physics was junior year and I didn't no, no, pick no. a science senior yeah, yeah. year. It was it had to have been it had to have been sophomore year. So yeah, I was like sixteen. Um, I didn't have the deadly kind though. I had viral meningitis, which is uh, often not deadly, uh, whereas bacterial meningitis is often deadly. Like if you by the time you go to the hospital because your head hurts, you're probably too far along. Like Damn. it's like a ten percent survival rate at that point. Um. So, yeah. I think like to live in the is there a, a like a vaccine or something for meningitis? Yeah, and that's for mostly for the bacterial meningitis. But okay, the problem with meningitis is it's not a thing; it's a symptom. Right. Right. And so there's there's you know any bacteria could theoretically call cause meningitis. Some are better than others at you know pla- passing through the blood brain barrier, and then of those some that can do that, they we have vaccines against I don't know like thirteen of them or something like that. Um. So yeah, pepper like all all infants well, infants whose parents are idiots uh, get. Uh, like a wide array of meningococcal uh, vaccinations. I know I had to have my vaccinations to be able to live in the dorms at UNT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had... UNT and uh, front, front end of the trend. Got ahead of that whole issue before it was really even that big a thing. <laughs> A&M had the same thing. I had to have vaccines, I think, to live in the dorms. <clears throat> Which I, had I don't think had. we ever had any diseases go around our dorms other than collective group vomiting after long nights of drinking, oh. which I was never a part of because I didn't drink in college, but my dorm mates certainly did. I thought you were going to say syphilis. You never drank in college? I could have. I, I didn't drink until I moved in with Aaron. Oh. Yeah, but I mean, that you made it sound like I was the... Uh... <laughs> I'm just stating the facts. <laughs> I'm just stating the facts. I mean, the way you say it makes it sound like I was the instigator, but I'm guessing uh, of of the six of us, I was I probably drank the least. In my presence, you drank the second least. Oh, why? Because I never saw Richard. That's true. That's valid argument. Who that drank valid the argument. most? Uh, I don't know if that well, person would like to be identified. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually know the answer to that question because it was really a group effort. Well, then maybe yeah, you shouldn't really have know. had so much to drink. <laughs> I mean, probably not. Honestly, yeah. it was like I liked drinking because I really liked playing drinking games. So I, I do have to say, though, personally, I felt like, as someone who very much does not enjoy being around drunk people. Who very much does not enjoy being around people who are like actively, possibly choking on their own vomit because they are drunk. And finally, <laughs> does, you don't like that. <laughs> I do not like that. I, well, sorry. Let me rephrase. I don't even like people who I think might be on their way to that state because it's so. Uh, it makes me nervous, right? Like I'm like, I will be visibly anxious in those scenarios. Uh, we had a pretty pretty chill house. Like I don't ever remember anyone getting too crazy. I mean, maybe a little crazy, but never like never real bad. You know. Rob, yeah. Rob's like thinking, but 
Yeah, I was just trying to think of all the times, and I think, I mean, it wasn't a frat house. We were... Yeah, I remember one or two times somebody waking up fairly hung- hungover and... In, in, uh, one or two times? Blowing a few chunks, but, but I never, like, never, like, at night, you know, everyone was normally pretty, pretty chill. So, the thing that I'm learning about reading books with you guys is that I don't pick up on stuff a lot. Hmm. And this is a book while I was reading, I could tell there were things going on that were interesting that I wasn't getting. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of stuff you guys talked about with the last book, I was like, in retrospect, like, oh yeah, that's definitely what the author was trying to do. Mm. And now I read this book and I'm like, the author was doing a lot and I just didn't get it all. I know I didn't get it all. I'm going to be, I'm looking forward to having my mind blown about all the things that you guys got that I didn't. So before you continue, I would just say briefly, that's not necessarily bad, right? Like, like you, even if you got none of the illusions, you can still appreciate the story. Now, maybe you'll appreciate it less or maybe you'll appreciate it more. Like, Neil Gaiman is known for throwing too many illusions in his books. And sometimes annoying people, like, Jesus, like, why are there so many illusions? You know? Well, with, like, Player of Games, like, the talking about it made me appreciate the book even more because there were so many things that I thought were simplistic and kind of lame, but were actually not. Ah, okay. There were just things I didn't get. That's fine. Anyway. So, time out. I would say one of the other things that I love to do is as soon as I finish a book, I go on to like a, like a forum or just like the wiki, and I like just like to read people's interpretations and things. And I definitely did that with Player of Games after we talked about it, but I try uh-huh. to do it before we have these conversations uh, okay. because I don't want to say what the wiki says. I want to say, say what, what Rob thought. says. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, but after this, I promise you, I've been resisting... <laughs> The wiki entry. Um, yeah. Anyway, so a, a general synopsis of the book is that in uh, this, you know, alternate reality universe, America, um, gods are created by the people who believe in them. And the more belief a god has, the more powerful that god becomes and vice versa. So uh, a lot of the characters in this book are formerly powerful gods brought to the United States by all of the various groups immigrating here and that have over time lost faith and so have become less powerful. So uh, a bit of a spoiler because you don't know this right off the start, but the whole thing's going to get spoiled. So like, why don't yeah. we're spoiling stuff? Uh, <laughs> the, 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 one of the very first characters you meet is a guy named Wednesday who is the Viking god Odin. Yeah. Uh, and as you might have guessed, like the Vikings may have brought Odin over from, you know, modern day Scandinavia. Uh, his belief isn't great anymore. So he's lost a lot of his power. And uh, a lot of the books centered on him and the main character, whose name is Shadow, who is uh, a very large black man, uh, very deep. The I don't know. Like I, I was in the audiobook. Once again, and the voice acting for Shadow is very deep voiced and very good. I liked it. Yeah. I liked. I liked the, 
all of the voices were good, but they were like mostly professional actors, right? Like those were the actual people from the show doing the voices. I don't know, actually. I'd have to look that up. This is the first audiobook I've listened to with a full ensemble cast reading it. So like all of the characters weren't just voiced by the same person doing a different voice. Largely, they were voiced by a large group of different people, which I imagine is an incredibly expensive thing to do yeah. for an audiobook. For sure. I wonder if I wonder if that's like a like profitable thing to attempt. Anyway, mm. that's not part of the book. Uh, <laughs> and so the book kind of follows Wednesday and Shadow around to a degree as they go around. And Wednesday is trying to recruit many of the other like old gods that have lost faith to fight in a battle that's coming against the new gods. And the new gods are things like gods of the internet, gods of cars, gods of media, gods of television types of things. And uh, it just follows them around as they're trying to recruit all of these other gods. And then after a while, uh, for reasons that aren't known to Shadow, uh, Wednesday slash Odin decides that he needs to hide Shadow away. And so it kind of follows Shadow into this really small town. I think it's it's in Wisconsin or Minnesota or something like that, or Illinois. Uh, Wisconsin, I think. Lakeside? Yeah. I think that's one of those places. Uh, and he just kind of has, like, a normal day-to-day, as normal as Shadow can have day-to-day interactions with the townspeople of Lakeside and and kind of follows his interpersonal relationship with various people in that town. Um, all the while, it's, that's kind of a synopsis without revealing the end of the book. There's a lot else that happens, like a lot else that happens. I mean, you very should, other... we should probably reveal it, right? I mean, we will in our conversation. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So what's your... That's the synopsis. Do you want to start with your review, or do you want someone else to start with their review? I'm good either way. What, do you, I, Steven started out one second, so you go first, and Steven will go last. <clears throat> okay. The opposite order of last week. Okay. Um... I think what we're... I already knew this about myself, but um, now you guys and anyone who listens to the podcast will also know this about myself. I Do you am, like everything you read? Yes. I am not... I think you've mentioned this. I am not a tough critic. Or, uh, uh, like, even move Like, movies, it's like, I enjoy good movies like Pulp Fiction, but I also enjoy movies that have no deeper meaning and they're just, like, fun to watch. Like, National Treasure? Whatever. That's fun. Like, I enjoy it. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, I loved this book. I, I, I give it a five. <laughs> I'm going to give everything a five. Um, I think the reason I loved it is because it's definitely not in my wheelhouse of things that I like to read, and yet I still very much enjoyed it, which was surprising to me. About halfway through, I was like, this is not the type of stuff that I would normally be interested in, and I'm really enjoying it. My biggest criticism is I loved how it felt like something like Paradise Lost the whole way. I think I might have said this to Rob like outside of the podcast, but to me, I loved the way it was set up where the main character was so... He wasn't detached, but he, he was so just done with the way life had been up until then, that he was unfazed. 
And so the, you know, and he even explained like some of the reasons why he was unfazed. And he was just like, I, I just don't. He was almost like, I, I almost don't even care at this point. I'm just getting paid by you. Follow. This should be a good moment to, to say that, like, the book begins with Shadow in prison. Yeah. Um, which later was revealed it was for, like, you know, they did a bank heist, and the people he did the bank heist with kind of screwed him over, so then he went and beat the shit out of the people he did the bank heist with and took the money back. And the entire time he's in prison, he has, like, a great relationship with his wife, so, like, as he's getting out of prison, he's, like, really excited about getting back to his old life, going back to his wife, his best friend from their hometown. has got a job waiting for him. And then he gets out of prison to find out that his best friend and his wife have died in a car accident where she was blowing him as they were driving. So, like, everything just, like, all collapsed in at the same time. Yeah. Uh, in, from his perspective. And so, like, he gets out of prison, finds out his wife and his best friend and had been having an affair and that they're both dead. And that's yeah. how like the book starts in, in a lot of ways. And that's kind of how when Aaron said he was just done with the way life, yeah. that's, that's his level of doneness. He was just like, he went from being excited about life to just being completely numb to it. Yeah. But, and, and so this is where I get what, what I loved about it is the fact that he meets these gods and you see little interludes of gods. Um, and it's, it's all very nonchalant, right? Like, it's very, this is just the way it is, and he doesn't question it, right? And so I think that was a really good way to set up the character that way, because he talks about in the postscript and in, in like, the, uh, you know, foreword, like, why he wrote the novel and why it interested in him and, and things like that. And I think the only way to write it properly would have been to have a character that was just done. So that it felt more like something like Dante's Inferno or Paradise Lost where, you, you know, in a lot of fans, like Harry Potter, you, you can tell that J.K. Rowling knows that it's not real, right? In any fantasy, almost any fantasy you read, you can tell a little bit that the author knows that it's not real, but the narrator is so done, Shadow is so done and so just like, fuck it, I don't care, that he takes everything in stride like it's as natural as anything. And so it reminds me a lot of these like epic poems where shit happens that doesn't make sense, like going through the fucking nine levels of hell or whatever it is, and the character is just unfazed. Like, okay, this is what happens in hell now. Right, and um, that's kind of what I—that's what I love about this book. I I enjoyed that so much. What I didn't like, and okay, also what I loved is how there was allusions to some gods where you didn't know who they were. You had to like figure it out, especially if you are uh, were brought up in Western civilization. Right, like figuring out that Wednesday is Odin is not hard. Because most of us know who, like, have heard the name Odin and, like, have an idea of what the Norse pantheon is like. But meeting Mr. Nancy, I had to look that up, right? Like, I didn't know who uh, who that was. And so part of what I loved about it, too, was introducing me to these rabbit holes of pantheons of gods that I had never read about in my entire life. 
Right. So, like, in the book, there were a lot of Norse gods. Yeah. There were a lot of the Egyptian gods. Yep. But then there were a couple African gods. Yep. Like Mr. Nancy. And then there were a lot of Native American gods. Yep. And there were even a few others sprinkled out through there, you know, like a yeah. few South American, a Easter. few Asian. Yeah. Um, and then even a few, what I thought was interesting is even, and I don't even know, maybe he made it up, but even a few gods of, like, the people's who cl- crossed the land bridge from Siberia to mm. the Americas. But that being said, those things all being things that I loved, I did not enjoy the ending. I, I still love the book, but for some reason, part four was when Neil Gaiman went, oh yeah, this is all fake. Right? It was just too... It was just like... I don't know. I, I wanted it to just be shadow... Going through life, making a transformation, learning, like, meeting these gods and that being an effect on him. And the con that Wednesday tried to pull off with Loki and even finding the, you know, what Henselman was doing in Lakeside. Like, both of those things, I was like, oh, cool, mystery solved. And then it was like, eh, I was kind of not thrilled with that ending because it was too... Oh, it was a murder mystery the whole time. And it's just like, eh, I, I wanted it to be this just like, you know, a uh, very surreal experience of this guy going through life completely broken, meeting these gods and like l- learning something along the way, which he does. And then he gets resurrected. And I would have been fine if it had ended there, right? Or not get resurrected or just died or whatever. That would have been better for me than the very folksy end to the to the book. So that, eh, that's my quick, criticism. Before, you, before we get to Stephen's review, I just want to say that about the resurrection, loved that Easter had to be the one that did, that did the resurrection. I just, I just thought that was awesome. Yeah, that anyway, was cool. That was cool. Stephen, I'd like to share your, your thoughts, your overall thoughts. Uh, yeah, this was the second time that I've read this book, but the first time I read it was in like high school or some shit. It was a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. There is, like Aaron was saying, the, the ending is kind of anticlimactic. Um, it just kind of trails off, I guess. Like you're <laughs> you're expecting a big like climactic battle between the old and new gods, and then Shadow's just like hey, you're all getting played, and they're like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, they, they, it's weird that they all immediately listen to him and believe him and then just leave. Yeah. And that, like, none of them still try and fight each other because it seems like they are legitimately in conflict with each other. Um, yeah. It seems weird to me how... Um, he just kind of skirts around for the most part, the entire issue of um, like the Abrahamic God existing and Jesus to an extent, like they're mentioned, they're brought up, but it's just kind of like offhandedly. One of the interesting things, I don't know if Rob listened to this, but when the book ends, uh, there's like an excerpt where uh, the nar- one of the narrators is reading about the fact that uh, Neil Gaiman actually wrote. That is Neil Gaiman reading. Is it, it. Neil Gaiman? Okay. Yeah. I thought it might be. What is it? I wasn't sure. He actually wrote 
uh, a section where he meet where Shadow meets Jesus, mm-hmm. and he just kept on feeling like it shouldn't be there. Like it was just, you know, like he just felt like Jesus was... visits him while he's strapped to the tree. Yeah, in this in this in this scene that didn't make to the actual cut of the book, and it and he just. I mean, it, it, even with that, like, it still doesn't disprove Stephen's point because even that was like, Not even very if much. that part had That's been in true. the book, Jesus and Shadow don't really get in. Like, it doesn't mention the fact that like this is the dominant religion. Well, maybe it's not. Like, I mean, it's still a dominant religion. Like, because yeah, but to Stephen's point, even if that part had been in the book, it wasn't. It, it wouldn't have been an. I don't know. Maybe. It would have become important, but that scene in and of itself wasn't. Yeah, that's true. I agree, and I think that's a criticism from me too. Like it's, and I think it was more of a political decision on his point, on his part, right? Like he just didn't want to rock any boats. Well, I mean, but you don't think that some people would have their boats rocked by him making the internet a god and the t- television a god? Like, I think that those are definitely things that are worshipped by Americans, but I don't think Americans like it to be pointed out. That's true yeah i i mean that's that's a good point i figured i mean i think largely any criticism that um you know deeply religious people would have of the book is probably that right um but i would have i would have found it very interesting if he had found a way to um wriggle the abrahamic religions into the book and made them part of the old god team because i think that that's that would be an interesting commentary to say, like, even the most prevalent religion in the country is being actively pushed away by the religions that we create out of the Internet and media and things like that, you know? Um, yeah, it, it's weird. It's simultaneously, like, kind of, like, uh, like a glaring but logical blind spot in the in that world. Like, yeah. if... I like trying to think of how they would actually work that in there. And it doesn't really make any sense to me to try and add them because yeah. like it, he, he deals almost exclusively with, with pantheons, like nothing monotheistic. That's true. And the other thing is like a lot of these religions are either very old and very dead or very unknown to the average reader of the book. So it's easy to paint, each of these characters as being a single thing. Whereas with Jesus, do you make him Protestant or Catholic or Jehovah's Witness or Mormon? Like, people know enough about it and there are enough sects of it that it, it would be very difficult to make a single character representative of all of that. And that character would have had to have been... I don't... I don't know. It would have been very hard to write and then, as you just said, like, where does it fit into the general story the book is trying to... Because, you know, even the modern religions, as you said, are, are pantheons, where it's just like all of media separating all these various different gods. So, yeah, I don't... It would have been tough for him to write about Christianity or, you know, Islam or Judaism in, in the same kind of way that he wrote about the Norse gods and the Egyptian gods, because he could just make you know, Anubis one thing. And as far as the general American reader is concerned, or British reader, whoever his audience was, that's fine because they're going to learn more about Anubis in this book than they probably knew before. Yeah. 
until you have a star review you want to give or any more comments um what was what was funny to me and this was just like a purely personal thing is like i remember somehow like not seeing the twist coming the first time around and then like reading the book the entire time wednesday keeps just being like i'm a con man yeah <laughs> And so, like, it makes yeah. sense that it ends with him trying to pull off a con. And he even mentions that he, like, used to have, like, a younger partner who would help him with his two-man cons. And it's yeah. just, like, telegraphed real hard throughout the entire book. And I don't know why I was surprised the first time it happened. Um, I, th- I actually think that was pretty... I think the reason is because of the kind of, like, solemn attitude that the rest of the book has right from shadow's perspective this is all like very serious and he takes everything very seriously you know and so i think that's what what's happening is you're kind of getting the like his lens is uh you know distorting the truth like so he hears him talk about the cons and he talks to him about the cons but he doesn't ever internalize that thought or you know more than just listening to wednesday tell his story you know he doesn't he so, doesn't care enough to like try and figure out what Wednesday's plans are that's true that's true um yeah what was i going to say oh yeah and like um they it's kind of unclear exactly why um like why wednesday was even able to father shadow in the first place because like none of the other gods seem to have children or at least not with mortals and they don't really explain like i guess you're just supposed to kind of piece together that oh shadow kind of has powers because he's the child of a god but like they all at the same time the universe seems to be that like in fiction, the way gods work is you have to worship them for them to have power. So I didn't, I didn't understand why like Shadow had those abilities. Where like if he thought about something really hard or dreamed about something, it would happen. Yeah, yeah. For a, a lot of the point. book, I thought there was going to be a reveal that Shadow was a god of something new, like a new age god. That his Shadow uh, wasn't aware that he was, and that Wednesday had detected it. Um, the whole Wednesday being his father came as a surprise because I was so ready for that twist, you know? Because, like, yeah. like, Shadow has powers. Not, I mean, they're not totally developed and they're not super strong, but, like, you know, I just, I thought that was coming. But, uh, and I was also really excited because the book was written so long ago that I thought that it was going to be some type of social commentary on some new thing in 2010 when the book was written or whenever it came out, 20, 2002. Yeah. Uh, and I was wondering where that had come since then, but uh, just th- th- that was not the twist that the book had in mind. True. <laughs> I think that Aaron touched on something that, well, he didn't touch, he hit it pretty hard in the face. And that, like, for a lot of the book, I was very, like, lost, but in a good way, where, like, I wasn't sure what was real and what wasn't for a long time. And that was, like, it was confusing 
but in a like exciting to figure out kind of what's going on way. And then yeah, yeah like I, I guess I did feel let down by the ending, but I couldn't really put together why until you said it's because of how you know, the approach to the book dramatically changed very quickly. Yeah. When Shadow like you, the moment that Shadow kind of figured out what was going on to the end of the book there was like Shadow was a different, like much more active character in the story and the plot that I guess I wanted, but then once it happened, it wasn't interesting. Like the whole time, I was like excited. Like, how is a god between? Like, how do all the old gods, if they get power from being worshipped, have any kind of power against the new gods? Yeah. If this is the world that's set up, and then yeah, you're right. He just kind of, like the whole bit where he convinces the gods to not fight is like literally one paragraph. Yeah. And it's not a long paragraph. Yeah. And that was the whole battle. This whole thing was building up to. So. And then at the end, it was like. <laughs> Like, all it was after that was just uh, Anansi being like, you did good. (laughs) And then he went and visited, like, the Eastern European people. And they kept on telling, yeah, he kept on telling him to come back tomorrow instead. Yeah. But then, I don't know why. Like, what was going to happen tomorrow? I My guess was that since spring had broke, they were revealing that Chernabog and his brother were just one person. Which I think was part of the myths of Chernabog. Like, it's part of, like, the Eastern European myths of Chernabog that maybe he doesn't have a brother. Maybe they're one and the same, and it just depends on the season. And so my guess was that uh, Chernabog becomes his brother tomorrow. And that is why they're like, if you come back tomorrow, that his brother, you know, his his brother side of himself won't kill you with his hammer. Which is why when Chernabog doesn't kill him with his hammer, Shadow asks, "Is this Chernabog or is this Yellabog or whatever the his brother's Balabog. name is?" And he, yeah, and he says it's it's Chernabog. But he saw like a quality in his eye that he didn't think he had seen before. So I think Chernobog was in the the midst of transitioning to his brother's state, which is like the spring fun guy, not the the uh, the the god of blackness, which is what Chernobog is. Um, that's my guess, at least. Yeah, um, when they first meet Chernobog, uh, Wednesday makes some kind of offhanded comment, or he's like. Oh, you, you dualistic types. Like he, he mm-hmm. pretty straight up says that Turnabog is a is a dualistic deity. He's like a, a light and dark. De- he has two different mm-hmm. halves that are the same god. Yeah. Well, I guess I don't know enough about Eastern European gods to have either a picked up on that or b if I had picked up on that, know what it meant. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know anything about Eastern European gods either, but. That yeah, I mean, I did. That was an aspect of the book that I really did enjoy was the, just like going down the rabbit holes of of pantheons. It was a lot of fun for me. So, it's weird to me that he didn't touch very much, if at all. But I can think of on Greek or Roman deities because that's a pretty, like ripe. I'm guessing that he was trying to make the argument that it wasn't a very strong presence. 
in the United States. Yeah, like the Norse thing, he, which is not a huge presence, but he made the argument that, you know, because we know that Norse people were the first people to land here besides Native American people, that they have a strong presence here. Um, what about the Egyptian gods? But and so that's a good one. That that that's a good one. Um, I mean, they brought over. They they had the story of all the African gods that got here via slave ships. Yeah. Right? So that's the background of those characters. The, there was that one interlude with the guy who drove a taxi. No, that was an Ifrit. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. That was a, that. That was a scene, huh? That, yeah. Um. So and then again, the that scene too. That's one of those scenes where. The character, like the the person who the narrator of that scene, takes it all very uh, nonchalantly, right? Like he is having sex with a an ifrit, like which is a god of his culture, or not a god, but like a demigod type being of his culture, and he takes it um, at face value, right? With without without really questioning anything. Um, and I just, I just love the way that style is done. Like the fact that all the characters just expect, like once they see their gods, they know and they accept it as reality. Well, then they had the, the, I forget her name, but the goddess that was like required to be worshipped via sex. Oh, oh yeah. So that she would. Bilquist. Yeah. yeah Bilquist. And, and so like the scene where she like envelops that one John, like, yeah. uh, that was a scene too. <laughs> yeah, I actually kind of want to watch the show just to see how they deal with those moments in the book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to watch the show just because. Have you seen the show, yeah. Stephen? No, I have no idea what network it's on, and I don't uh, have that. Cable. That's that's it's like Showtime or something like that. You can you can uh, rent the episodes on YouTube though. Oh, okay. Um. Another thing stars. that never gets explained is exactly why the gold coin that Mad Sweeney gives to Shadow has the kind of power it does. Like he says that he took it from the Horde, but like I don't know what the Horde is or why things from the oh. Horde are powerful. Yeah, I bet that's something that if we looked it up, I mean, I've been um, trying to look on like the the oh, wiki really? page for American Gods, and they don't explicitly say why that coin has power or what the Horde is. Yeah. Obviously, that's, you know... Well, obviously, I don't know if it's obvious, but there's probably some Irish tradition around some special gold coin. If I had to guess that, you know, a lot of stuff in the book isn't explicitly explained, and that's that's one of many, and I'm sure that there's like a very select, small audience of people that are super excited about whatever reference that is. Hmm. Yeah, I, I just assumed that there was maybe some type of Irish folklore of, you know, the pot of gold at the end of a rainbow having not just gold coins, but gold coins with certain magical powers like, you know, bringing people back from the dead or healing the sick or whatever. And he accidentally pulled one of those special coins out from the hoard rather than, you know, just one of the vanilla gold coins. But you're right, I'm not really seeing anything about there being a, uh, you know, a myth or a legend around special coins in a leprechaun's hoard. So, 
you know, obviously he takes some liberties with it as well in, in some areas, which I also kind of liked. Like he he keeps to their, you know, general myth, but adds extra stuff to it, which is not you know necessarily part of the myths of those those pantheons. Um, but yeah. What's your rating, Rob? Oh, Steven didn't actually give one. I know, we're still waiting on Steven's Oh, sorry. Um, Like a four-something out of five. It's a good book. Four-something out of five. I enjoy it. Um, There's not really... In my opinion, and I could be very wrong about this, there's not a whole lot of, like, deeper meaning to be extracted from this book. Yeah, I, I kind of felt that too. Like I, I, Rob, when you were saying at the beginning, like I felt it was kind of ironic because there were a lot of allusions and stuff, and a lot of you know stereotypical phrases uttered by the gods that would align with the beliefs of their pantheon, but not not anything really beyond that. Like any, if you if you went or if you had learned about any of those pantheons, kind of ethos then you would probably have already... You, you would have figured that out just fine. Right? Yeah, I guess that I didn't get, like, that deeper meaning, so I figured I just missed it. But I... I didn't get any deeper meaning either. I, I, I do have to say, the one thing I forgot to mention is, in contrast to not liking the ending, I... I did like how he kind of... Uh, he, he had shadow go through the process of standing vigil over wednesday only for him to have to find out that it was a it was a ruse all along right because even shadow you can tell from his words and things that he thinks it's something that he has to do well he does and i don't know that he feels like he has to do it i think given his reaction when he he dies on the tree and like they like he passes the egyptian god's you know, test into the afterlife where he gets to choose his ending. Yeah. And he chooses nothingness. Yeah. And so I think that maybe he was looking to just get out. Like he was still just done with it all, unconvinced, doesn't care, and he sees a way out and he takes it. That's possible, but the reason I would disagree that he had that feeling when he decided to get up on the tree is that he makes two choices prior to choosing nothingness, right? One of them is to know truth, like know the truth, which is when he finds out that uh, Odin is his father. The second thing is, of the three, I forget what the three choices were, but the one he chooses is to become whole. Then upon becoming whole, the third choice he makes is is which afterlife to go to, which is nothing. Right, so I'm not convinced that when he decided to stand vigil over Odin, he was making the choice to die. I would, to me, I feel like he thinks that it's his duty because, and I and I actually loved the scene in the book where Wednesday. I happened to be listening at the time, but in Wednesday's voice, he rereads the part of like what the job description is. And he's like, in the unlikely event of my death, you will stand vigil over my whatever 
you know mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. he re he re you know hears that in his head before choosing to go on the tree and i and i think it was interesting the fact that both you as the reader unless you've read it before and shadow you know i felt i viewed it as like a willing sacrifice because he feels like it's important to the cause and everything that he thinks wednesday represents only to then uh, die, maybe willingly, maybe not, and then definitely choosing to die, then only to be brought back to find out that it was all a ruse. Um, so, I don't know. It's, it's uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> so, yeah, I enjoyed it from, like, it being an entertaining experience yeah. to read, right? Like, it was a fun read and i was interested and i wanted to finish it and i wanted to keep reading it yeah um Um, did any of you call that hanselman was a god the first time i read it no yeah i i called that one for sure like after about two or three times of him talking i was like that guy's a god (laughs) i i didn't know that i thought that maybe hanselman didn't know and I thought that Hinzelman might be one of the, like, because I actually thought that Shadow was a god, too. And and kind of like Rob, just didn't know what he was the god of or had forgotten. And I thought Hinzelman was maybe in the same boat. And the reason why Wednesday put him in Lakeside was so that he could discover his godhood and help Hinzelman discover his as well or something like that. So um, I guess I can say that I kind of, called that Henselman was a god but at some point in the book I kind of just thought that everyone he was interacting with were gods. Ooh. I thought the sheriff was a god. I thought that Sammy was a god. I <laughs> thought that your neighbor was a god. I thought the lady who ran the bakery was a god. I thought the, the librarian not, so, lady was a god. I thought like the entire city of Lakeshore be- was Lakeside, important yeah. because Lakeside because all of its residents were gods. I, like I wouldn't say that you're wrong though. I think again reading the foreword in the postscript that Neil Gaiman Gaiman wrote leads me to believe that he that was part of the uh, charm, right, of writing the book for him is identifying like how. Yes, the U.S. had all these gods brought over by people, and it's like at the forefront of technology and all of these new, you know, gods that that take people's time. But you know, each of those people had very special qualities that made them, you know, maybe demigods or something in their own right. And I think he was trying to portray that, you know, like Sammy, you know, as far as you know, isn't a god. But at the same time, like she has a you know a positive influence on Shadow during his journey, right? Yeah, I just like so in, in that way, I called that Hinselman was a god, yeah, but okay. not in like a I particularly picked him out of the town. Yeah, like every one of those characters was a little quirky. quirky. I guess Hinselman was quirkier than most because his stories made no sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but you're right. They were all a little bit quirky and special in in various ways. The other thing that I guess was important about Henselman that I should have perhaps picked up on more is that like every god had a particular car that was important for one. Like the cars were important in the story. Like mm. what car they were driving, what car 
was going around was important. And all of the other characters, like, cars weren't important other than Henselman's car. Yeah. Which was important. That's a good point. Um, so, <laughs> uh, that was probably... There's there's something to do with the cars that I feel like is important in that story. I just... The Winnebago, the purple SUV, the purple Explorer, thing, yeah. The shitty, what is it like a like an old Nissan that he buys? Mm-hmm. The town car. That's a good know, point. Him. There's probably something, some theories that people have on that for sure. I, I don't know what they are. I, I did have have to laugh when the, uh, that purple car was described as being like. A particular shade of purple that only someone who had been stoned for a really long time would find appealing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, that, that's relatable. Um, despite how little I've actually said about the book we chose this time, I did really enjoy it. Um, it's just, there's not, it's just like, it's just a really entertaining read and there's not really a whole lot to dissect in my opinion. Um, but I highly recommend reading it. And if you enjoy it, um, you'll enjoy most of his other books. Um, he's very into uh, mythology. Like, mythology plays a big part in most of his books. Um, and if you particularly liked um, Mr. Nancy, then you should read uh, Anansi Boys. But that's all I got to say about that. Okay. Book. Sweet. Should we discuss the next book? I believe it's your pick. It is. Um, okay. So this is always really hard for me because I've got 11 books in my to-read list. Uh, but a lot of them are, uh, you know, like 60 hours. <laughs> so... The first one that, you know, I think would be easy and fun and I'm, my interest is piqued is, um, have you guys ever heard of the movie Stardust? No. Or ever so. seen it? I, it's, it's kind of like a fairy tale movie and I, I actually really enjoy it. It's, it's, it's cheesy Right, but you know it's got like seventy six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but anyway, the reason I ask is because I didn't know this. There's a book, uh, and it's written by a uh, Neil Gaiman. Gaiman, I don't know who that is. But, uh, or, or how to pronounce his name. But I was intrigued. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I actually really enjoyed that movie. It's like this, you know, kind of like love story movie. But now that I know it's written by Neil Gaiman, I'm kind of interested in reading it, especially because I did enjoy his writing, uh, in American Gods. So that's up there. Um,. And then the other one that I was thinking about doing that's of a reasonable length is uh, The Color of Magic, Discworld number one. Stephen, have you ever read those? No, and I would really like to. My vote is definitely a Discworld just because um, after I read American Gods, I went ahead and 
read like everything else Neil Gaiman has written. So okay. it would be nice to uh, read a book that Not. I haven't read now that we've done two in a row cool. that I have. But that was my own fault. I picked one I already already read. So you you've you've read Stardust before? Yes. It uh, like nice. It took you mentioning that it was another um, Neil Gaiman yeah. book, and I went and read the plot synopsis. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember reading. Oh this. yeah, I've read that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. It was like um, seven years ago. It's short, so I might read that on my own time anyway. Yeah. So let's do it. Let's do the Color of Magic. That has been on my list for a long time. I've always wanted to get into Discworld. Um, and it's the first one. It's called The Color of Magic by Terry Pratchett. I've read several of other Terry Pratchett's books, and I really enjoyed them, so I'm excited about this. Have you ever read any Discworld ones? Um, I think I actually did read The Color of Magic, but I think I was in sixth grade. Okay, so, so you want to re- I, reabsorb that. I remember it's not seeing that, you that at your it. house. It's all room. gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that I need to reabsorb it. It's all gone. It's all gone. I don't... I have no idea what it's about. I think I've read it, though. But it was a long, long time ago. Okay, cool. Back um, when my reading comprehension was also much worse than it even is today. I'm not that I'm <laughs> going to read it. Yeah. Um, cool. So let's do that. The Color of Magic by Terry Pratchett, Discworld number one. I'm super excited. <laughs> So that were. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed our review of uh, American Gods. Um, you know, we're looking forward to to the color of magic uh, over the next month. Uh, drop by the Facebook if you have thoughts, feelings, prayers about American Gods that you want to share uh, with the team. Feel free to email us at stogonothing at gmail dot com. Uh, Steven, you got, you got plugs you want to make? Probably should put your plugs at the beginning of the podcast from now on. Yeah, I'm not picky. Um, there is an episode of Mind the Headspace coming out sometime this month, um, probably around the 20th or something like that. Um, I'm also going to be playing, uh, a small music festival this weekend, so it'll already be happening by the time you hear this. Not that I expect anyone to go, but um, <laughs> I'm probably also going to record my set from that. So um, that might even be the next episode of the podcast. Um, that's all I got. 